The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. After a really unusual event, I think tonight we have a really interesting mixed audience. We want to thank uh, LA Venture Association, uh, Lynn Lanzi, and, and uh, here's Lynn. And uh, the gray man is around here somewhere, Great Fever and Southern California Tech Group. There he is right next to Lynn. Thank you for uh, helping us promote this event. It's uh, my pleasure to uh, introduce the uh, Dean of the Grazia Dio School, Dr. Linda Livingstone. Please welcome her. Thank you, Mike. It is wonderful to see all of you tonight. This has actually been a very busy day in the Grazia Dio School. We, all day at our Malibu campus, uh, we hosted the Hollywood IT Summit. It was the first time the heads of IT for all of the major Hollywood studios had ever been together in one place trying to solve some of the serious problems that they have and how they manage technology and manage their supply chains. And so we were really pleased to be able to host that and uh, we had, I don't know, like 230 or 40 people in a room. We were supposed to have about 170 people in. So it was really exciting and fun and lots of real interesting discussions that I think will be valuable to that industry. And then we get to conclude the day here with our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. So. It's wonderful to do that and to have such interesting things going on uh, that really cut across the important industries that affect uh, Southern California and all of California so significantly. Um, we have a lot going on in the school and I want to mention a few of those things, but I want to also uh, thank Farmers Insurance Group. They have been sponsoring our Dean's Executive Leadership Series since 2006. Uh, so we appreciate so much their sponsorship and their support and it's because of them that we're able to make this happen. So we thank you so much. We've got some farmers folks here. So. A few updates and particularly related to kind of what we're here to talk about tonight, but I want to mention rankings first. Uh, U.S. News and World Report's rankings just came out this week and two of our programs moved up significantly in those rankings, so I want to brag about that among our friends and alumni. So our full-time MBA program has typically been in about the 80s, and this is out of about 450, 500 accredited schools in the country, but we actually moved up to 75th this year, so we're really pleased about that. That's wonderful news. And then our fully employed MBA program last year was 51st in that ranking and moved up dramatically to 36th in that ranking. So that's fabulous. So those rankings put us in about the top 10 to 15% of MBA programs in the country. And so we're pleased at that and uh, appreciate all of what you do to make that happen because you uh, really are the school, uh, those of you that are students and those of you that are alumni. And so we appreciate uh, the way you help us to build that reputation through what you're doing in your businesses and out in the community. We're here tonight to talk about uh, venture capital and what's going on in the entrepreneurial world. And uh, Kate's going to talk a lot about that, but I want to tell you about some of the things that in, in that space that are going on in the school that we're just really, really excited about. As many of you know, uh, we rolled out a new curriculum in our entrepreneurship program uh, in the emphasis in our MBA program last year. So this is our second year of that emphasis. It's been enormously successful. We fill the classes all the time. And out of the first group that went through that program, we had 15 students that went through that program last year that actually have started businesses and are earning revenue or have 
obtained investment in their company, and so that's huge. In such a new program, a very high percentage of those students are already becoming very successful in what they're doing. Uh, we have coming up on April 2nd our business plan competition. And we have eight semifinalists right now that I believe it's next week. Is that right, John? Next week we do the semifinals and we'll have four finalists competing for $25,000 on April 2nd. So if you'd like to come see that in Malibu at the Dresher campus, you are welcome to do that. The day before that, on April 1st, we are concluding kind of the first round of our pilot project called 15X. And you will have a copy of that on your, some of you have these uh, on your tables. This is a pilot project where we have worked with UC Santa Barbara, uh, which has an amazing engineering program and a lot of really accomplished scientists. And they identified, uh, their tech transfer office identified five of their scientists that are doing really interesting research. We partnered uh, two MBA students with each of those scientists, uh, one of which is a Nobel laureate. And they have worked through a process over the last uh, month, month and a half, where they're really helping to identify ways that the technologies that have been developed by those scientists can be commercialized. And on April 1st, again, in Malibu at the Dresher campus, beginning at, I think, 9 o'clock in the morning, we're going to hear what's come out of that and hear all the ideas and the potential ways those technologies can be commercialized. This is a great partnership with UCSB. It broadens the base for our students, the kinds of companies that they can work with. And so we're really excited about that and where that's going to go. Um, we also are rolling out this summer at our West LA campus and then in the fall at our Orange County campus our new Master of Science degree in entrepreneurship. Uh, so it's really for, for folks that have a really focused interest in entrepreneurship and want to do that. It's a little bit shorter than our MBA program and we've been running some Launch U events to promote that and have had really tremendous response to that and are really looking forward to rolling that out and continuing to put people out into this region uh, that are trying to start new businesses and hire folks and really uh, help build the economy. The last thing I want to mention kind of in this space is our private capital markets project. Um, we have done this for several years now. Dr. John Pagley is one of our finance professors. And the private capital market projects is really the only uh, project in the country that is really looking at kind of the status of financing and support for private companies in this country, which generates 50% of uh, GDP in the country. And so it's been enormously successful. We are just finishing up the data collection on this round, and we'll have a new report out in the next few weeks. Uh, but the data that's coming out of there is very interesting. We've had requests from the Obama administration for copies of it. Uh, we had three articles in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of weeks ago where that uh, project was quoted. Uh, so we're really excited about that and the impact that it's having at the public policy level, um, in the business community, and so on. And so we encourage you to watch for that and pay attention to that, particularly uh, if you have interest in this space. So as you can see, we have a lot going on in the school, uh, really exciting things, lots of great people uh, with wonderful ideas that are making that happen, that are really making an impact uh, for our students and in the business community. And, uh, to kind of continue that theme, we have with us tonight Kate Mitchell, and we're really thrilled that she came down from uh, San Francisco and Silicon Valley to join us. Uh, Kate is the uh, co-founder and managing partner of Scale Venture Partners, and then she also serves as the chair of the Nas National Venture Capital Association. She has a really interesting background, went to Stanford with a degree in, I think, political science and then went to work for Bank of America. But she was there at a very interesting time and had the opportunity to roll out their online banking 
component before anybody else was really doing that. So she was an entrepreneur within a large corporate setting, went on from there to, to start Scale Venture Partners and has been doing that for about 15 years. Uh, we did our podcast a little bit earlier, and I think you will find, as I did in that, she is a lot of fun and full of energy, passionate about what she does, uh, really smart, and you're going to really enjoy what she brings to you today. So I'm going to bring up Kate Mitchell. It's great to be here, and thank you for spending your St. Patrick's Day. Uh, and I didn't even wear green, but I am a Kate. My mother was Sheila Jane O'Kelly, so a little <laughs> blessing of the Irish here. Uh, but it really is nice to be here. It's so exciting. It's great to get out of the office. It's great, it's, you know, speaking tonight to students, uh, people who are very sophisticated in the industry, peers, uh, you know, of mine, and in particular entrepreneurs. So I love getting out of the office because this is where it all happens. It's it's a lot of fun. And I thought I'd give you just a brief bit of my background. You got a bit of, of my bio, um, but sort of how I got, particularly for students, we were talking a couple of us earlier, sort of how I came to be um, where I am. Because there's never a direct route, particularly into something like I'm doing. There's really, you know, there aren't job applications for venture. You have to sort of find your way into it. <laughs> Alex and I were talking about that earlier. Um, I started out, actually, I, I'm, I come from, a, despite having a political science degree, I come from a family of engineers. My father was a civil engineer. My grandfather was an aeronautical engineer and founded um, Ames Research Center at Moffett Field, so early Silicon Valley when it was, you know, jet engines, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But sort of had me growing up with a, this idea of change, and my dad ran a small company and the idea of risk. Um, then went to, went to Stanford, um, and Jim Clark, who founded SGI and Netscape, was my professor when he still had patches on his elbows. Um, and it was all about figuring out how to use technology. It was even in a trailer. I mean, now the campus, because of the success of companies like Google, is very different than I went to school there. I lived in a trailer, and I was taught in a trailer. Um, because there, were, it was, there was constrained uh, resources at the time. But it was when I sort of first got, you know, that was my first touch point with technology. And I did start in banking, ended up using technology through various parts of my career, ended up in, uh, in internet banking when it was still a private business. Um, uh, I ended up with Mark Andreessen. Netscape was still a small company at the time and private. He brought big bars of chocolate to our meetings. He was a big guy and he liked big bars of chocolate. And, uh, and then one of my uh, staff members, he wasn't an employee because was, he had his own little startup on the side, was Craig Newmark of Craigslist. Um, so it was kind of cool. I mean, and I've stayed in touch with both those guys over time. And it was sort of like the wild, wild west at the time. You know, is this all going to work out if I put online banking? Do any of our customers care? We blew through every, you know, projection we had for the numbers. So it was fun to, to be there in the early days. You know that a lot of this is experimentation. You're not always sure how things are going to end out end up and you have to just kind of keep your wits about you. So that's how I come to be here today um, and it, it's one of the most exciting things and it's a lot like being back in school. Most of my day is spent hearing pitches from smart, passionate people and I get to learn about something new every day. It's like being in school. It's I think the ultimate, the ultimate luxury. So I thought I'd give you some background on what venture is. There's a wide range of knowledge in this room so I apologize if I'm being overly simple or if I'm being overly complex, I'm trying to hit the middle. But I'll give you a quick overview of venture, its impact, but I'm going to end up really talking about entrepreneurship. So I may go through some of these quickly, but I'm hopefully we'll have a chance to ask questions. I'm going to keep an eye on the time um, because that's really where I think the interesting stuff happens. So with that, let's see if this works. So we'll just a quick, you know, what is venture capital? You know, we focus, and, and this is always one of the questions because I, you know, when you're in this business, you get seven, 10,000 plans a year in our office and you invest in 10 high ratio. Um, and we get, I had, I vividly recall 
the Toilet Seat Company, and the Ball Bearing Company, um, both which were probably really cool ideas, but not really venture fundable. I mean, in that you were really looking for high growth industries that are at an inflection point. So that's why IT, healthcare, clean tech are so interesting, because they're industries that have, you know, a higher rate of growth than the average in the economy. And, and the other thing that finally became clear to me after a few years in venture, that as a venture capitalist, um, I'm not investing, I do invest my own money alongside my limited partners, but most of the capital I invest is institutional capital. Um, and really, you know, my mom is in a nursing union, and she needs to have good return in her retirement, which she's drawing. And really, my job is to take the pension money of hers and to be the best conduit to the best entrepreneur. That's really my job. And then to hopefully nurture and help that entrepreneur be as successful as I can. So it all really is about you know, connecting up my mom with a great entrepreneur. Um, and, and that really is, and when you think about the ecosystem, it really kind of puts venture capitalists head in the, right, in the right place. And then what we do in the economy is take, you know, some a piece of knowledge and IP and fund it through the days when it is not profitable, when it can't get any other resources and get it to the point, in venture we think of it as an exit, but really it's the beginning of the company, to the point where it can stand on its own and become a big public company like an Apple, like a Cisco, like a, like a Google. So we're kind of the, we're, we're kindergarten for the company because 92% of a company's growth happens after it goes public and our goal is to get it, to get it to that point. So that's really kind of what we do. Um, there are, oh it's a building slide, sorry. Um, you know, the various ways to fund a company at the high risk phase of it um, is venture. As it grows, it can get public, you know, uh, company, uh, get public um, equity. It can get debt and other things. We're, you know, closer to the seed investors where it's risky. Because it's risky, we invest in a portfolio of companies to obviously diversify ourselves over time. Um, and we do this in, a, you know, over a portfolio over a period of time. So we take R&D, we invest initially capital to get it to a first milestone and invest over time. When you think about a big pub company going public, there's really sort of one big investment. When you think about a private equity transaction, it's usually one big investment. We may, we have a couple companies that are on Series J or Series, you know, whatever, Z. We had one that went right to AA. Um, but where you're kind of meeting out the capital to say, do you think we're going to get further? How's it going through the lab? Now we've started selling. Now can we scale it? Now can we go overseas? Now can we launch our next product? So it goes over a long period of time, and that's taking a lot more time than it, than it used to. And again, towards an exit, which is really the beginning of, a, of the company's independence. And obviously, we've built a lot of huge companies, and I'm now speaking of the industry, from scratch. It's, it is a successful model that we all, when you look at this, you know, even Starbucks and, and FedEx, you know, names you didn't know were venture-backed, but they were very new ideas at the time and really needed somebody that was willing to take pure risk capital um, and, and invest it. We do it all over the United States and there's always the misnomer and, and certainly during difficult times, a higher ratio of venture happens in Silicon Valley than elsewhere. Um, and we can talk about why that might be later. But it is a national phenomenon. Our two best companies are in Provo, Utah, and Indian, Indian, Indianapolis. It doesn't have to be in Silicon Valley. It certainly can be in Southern California. Um, and we have some successful investments um, you know, here, you know, down through San Diego. So it is a national phenomenon and something that we want to encourage, I think, as, as Americans to be happening everywhere in, the, everywhere in the country. The thing, and this is probably you know, the one takeaway about venture of the question of, is this really for you? For anybody who's associated with venture, venture has a high failure rate. And if you can't embrace failure, and if you can't embrace no, I mean, seven to 10,000 business plans for 10 investments, 
um, you're, you, aren't made, you aren't cut out for this and maybe you should do something else for a period of time until you get to that phase in your career and your life and that's a very normal process. You know, 40% of, in a normal environment, 40% of venture deals don't return capital. I mean, you know, bad thing. Um, second, you know, 40% returns capital. That's not why you invested in venture was simply to be right where you were when you began. You can do better in a savings account. Um, and, and that's been the challenge in the last couple of years with the dearth of IPOs. We look like the first two categories. The reason you do venture is the 20% at the end. Those are the companies, those are the Googles, the Cisco's, um, et cetera, that really drive return in the, in the funds. Our job as venture capitalist is to cut the first two categories off early so that most of the capital goes into the 20% that win. Um, when I look at partners like Silicon Valley Bank, you know, and others that, that uh, it, you know, participate in this ecosystem alongside us, that is one of the challenges, is as these companies grow, they winnow out over time. And it's the few left standing that really become the winners. So this is something that if you decide this is something you like, you have to get really comfortable with this and, and sort of internalize that. And you know, the reason it makes sense is because we have a high impact in the, in the economy, <clears throat> even though we're a teeny amount of the economy. We invest in venture companies 0.1% of GDP every year. Even compared to buyouts and certainly hedge funds, which are all private capital, we're such a small amount of what gets invested every year. We're really kind of the, the early seed, the seeds that get planted. But for great return, I mean, venture-backed companies employ 11% um, of the workforce. The companies generate 20 21% of GDP, and they grow at twice the rate of non-venture-backed companies. These are the gazelles. Um, that really, you know, we're all interested today as Americans that we want to help kind of bring us out of the recession. So there's great rewards out of it. We've created entire sectors, biotech, clean tech, um, you know, semiconductors, et cetera. And there'll be something, you know, we'll be, you know, sitting here hopefully 10 years from now and there'll be something new on this slide that we hadn't even anticipated. So it's an exciting industry to be in because it is really at the cutting edge and something that is now not only a phenomenon in the U.S., it is now global phenomena and something I think that as Americans we have to be careful we keep here um, and we can talk about that a little bit when we get to break. So kind of where is venture today? Well I call this slide the great exit slide and I think a couple of you have heard me say this before. Um, venture capitalists love exits we just don't want them to be our own and um, what happened here you know it's a very cyclical business and you can see in the early 80s it was a much smaller magnet ample you know this was a mini tsunami versus our 2000 tsunami um, that we you know we had a recession a lot of interesting companies typically are formed in recessions because there are not too many technology companies often when you come out of a, a recession like we are now technology is flourishing right now it is a jobless recovery partly because of that um, so what happened in the early 80s you know great technology everybody decided oh you can make money in that in comes a lot of capital, kills the returns. Of course, the same thing happened in 2000. When you look at the slope of that curve, any of us who was using technology, and any of us, I was operating at the, that time um, in venture, um, but certainly was using technology myself, obviously, the internet. My, my, you know, if you look at e-commerce through that period, it was growing really steadily and nicely. It did not do this. And everybody thought the internet, Y2K, was just gonna be a, a huge boom, and then, of course, we had, a, we had a big bust. And we often talk about, in our industry, when is it gonna be back to a level where we think it'll be successful again? So this is, this is the exit side. And I always say, by the way, it's not just that there were too many people that looked like me as a venture capitalist. The real issue 
is that we created too many companies. There were too many CEOs fighting each other to get in the customers' doors and slashing their prices for free. I actually think it's one of the challenges of journalism. Everybody had to give away stuff for free. Quality journalism, people should pay for it. The New York Times is trying to do that this week, and I applaud them for it because I care, and I really miss the fact that there aren't as many qualified journalists. I'm talking to a former journalist in the audience here. Um, recovering journalist. <laughs> um, but I, you know, that's a real challenge. So we can destroy, we can have great technology, but if we create too many companies, we're destroying business models. So that's the real problem at the peak um, overall. And you see it in the returns. And the bright green is venture, the blue, all the variations of blue and purple are all the various public indices. And on the far right is 20-year numbers, and venture was really good when there was the right amount of capital relative to the opportunity. And you can see what it's been like the last 10 years. We've just swamped all these great ideas with too much money and created too many companies. Um, you are starting to see a slow rebound in IPOs. The purple are M&A and the green are IPOs. You start to see that turn up now. We're you know, having conversations with a lot of people in the ecosystem um, you know, about how we uh, can improve the path for IPOs. But directionally, we're going in, in the right place now, so I think things are certainly getting better. A acquisitions have really gone up, and what you don't see in this are the value of those acquisitions have gone up. Um, so that's, that's a good thing as well. The thing for entrepreneurs to remember, though, is this is a, and for investors, this is a long, this is not a sprint. You know, everybody at the top that, oh, I start a company, I'll be public in two years, I'll have my, you know, my, Island off in the Caribbean, you know, anytime soon. It does not work that long, it, that well, that quickly. It's a, it's a 10 year plus slog. And it doesn't have the feedback cycle as an entrepreneur or as a venture capitalist that you get when you get, you know, either grades every quarter or you get a review from your boss every year. You really have to decide that you're in it for the long run and that you are ready to give up that much of your career for that time period to grow that company that might not be one of the 20% winners. So it's a calculus you really need to think about when you decide to be an entrepreneur and you have to, patience is rewarded, but you have to be, you have to be patient. This is something a couple of us were talking about at the break. This is an analysis that we did in our group um, for our limited partners because they're all saying, well, we think it's good that there's capital leaving the industry, then the opportunity is probably better suited to the amount of capital. How do we know when we're there yet? Well, without going into a lot of detail, that green thin line is the percentage of venture, the amount of venture every year is a percentage of GDP, the amount invested. The purple lines are the returns in venture. And what you see, the lower percentage of GDP, the higher the returns. And when you have too much capital, the returns plummet. You know, you had in what I call, think of as the golden years, sort of the 85, 94, before any bubble occurred, you know, we were 0.1% of GDP being invested every year, and we returned five times the money of our, our investors on average. That includes all those failures. And that's when Silicon Valley, I, I was working there at the time, it was see-through, there were see-through buildings, and it was really hard to build companies, and they had to be big and profitable when they went public, sounds like today. Um, and that was when we had some great returns. And then we, Netscape went public, um, and everybody paid for, you know, companies for futures, you know, returns went up, and then there was this wall of money in 2000, and of course returns absolutely plummeted. And we were happy, you know, post-2000 when the, the, when the capital was leaving the market, and we directionally thought this was good. But interesting that even in that, you know, 01 to 08 time frame, it, we were investing 0.2% of GDP. Sounds like a small number. It was twice the level, though, that we had in the golden years, and it's only the last year and a half that we've been down to the level um, that we had in the golden years, point, actually slightly less than 0.1% of GDP. 
I think that's good news. I think it's a better time for entrepreneurs to build companies. I think it's a better time to get returns. I don't think it'll feel that way very quickly because it takes that five to ten years to build a company. But it is a healthy time. It feels better. We have our our uh, CEOs come and speak to our limited partners, the pension fund managers, et cetera, endowments and the foundations, at our annual meeting, much in a room like this. And again, I'm the conduit. You know, we took us out of the mix, and we had our entrepreneurs speak directly to, to our investors about how they felt as CEOs, how they felt about hiring, how they felt about their pipeline, how they felt about um, you know their how long it took to close a customer. And we do that every year, and it's interesting that it's the last three years they've gotten more optimistic every year. They really feel good now. They really feel like they can dominate and differentiate themselves in a way they couldn't a couple of years ago. So I, I, I think we, I, personally, this is my thesis at least, that, that we're in a better place. And you see part of it because uh, early stage investing is, is also up. So we're planting seeds for the future, albeit at a lower level than we did at the peak. But we're planting new seeds. We're starting new companies. You know, it was 20 at the beginning of the slide, which is the beginning of 07. It was less than 21% of the dollars in venture went to early stage companies. We were still trying to get the later stage companies sort of over the finish line. It's over 30% now, um, and, and directionally, and you add that to all the angel and seed money, really increased nicely because we need to generate a new, new crop of startups to be successful. So all this, I think, is great. Often when I come to groups outside of Silicon Valley, they want to talk a little bit about how it is regionally. And of course, I, uh, we've done a lot of investing in Southern California. I think you have all the right recipes for success here. And it's interesting when you look at 96 to 2010, unlike other sectors of the country, Southern California has actually held its own. You do see that Silicon Valley has grown as a percentage, um, partly because other parts of the country, the Southeast, some of the Northeast, et cetera, have Midwest have suffered um, slightly. But Southern California is holding its own and I think is building a really nice DNA. Its programs like Pepperdine um, is running their Wave Accelerator, their 15X, et cetera. Doing those kinds of things in your community, I think, really make a, a huge difference um, going forward. So now I'm going to start, hopefully, give you some ideas that Linda and I can talk about a little bit more and hopefully interact a little bit in the audience, sort of conversations about for entrepreneurs, sort of how do you think about going about building a company, um, how do you get funded. And these are, you know, the honest advice that I would give, you know, um, any, any entrepreneur. The first thing you need to look at and is ask yourself is the idea that you want to get funded a venture deal. Um, is it is is it in a large market? Is it capital efficient enough? You know, look at the company, you know, the Bulgarian company. Um, but also, we see companies. We were Linda and I were talking about this earlier. That really aren't companies, and they really aren't even products. They're features. They're cool technology, and they're really different than what was done before. But when you try to think of it, you know, as a logo next to all those logos on the page before, it doesn't really stack up. And so, you really do need to ask yourself that that hard question. Then you need to think about the VC that you're pitching. And, you know, we get seven to 10,000 plans a year and 10 get funded out of our fund. So there are a lot of ideas out there. A lot of them don't get funded. And that's probably good because the, the entrepreneurs learn and they kind of, we have entrepreneurs I've seen three or four times and sometimes it's the fourth or fifth company you say, yes, you know, do it. That's the right idea. And some start small and, and grow their way into bigger companies. Um, but do your homework on that VC you're pitching. We get so many, you know, plans for sectors we don't invest in. Um, our group is an example. Um, it hasn't done a lot in clean tech, partly because we think it's overfunded, and partly because uh, of the regulatory issues that we're concerned about with some of the deals. We actually have had a couple of deals in in clean tech 
historically, but as clean tech became its own industry, it's not an area we focus on. But there are people that come to me assuming that I must have 15 clean tech companies in my portfolio. Come and look at our website. We have the portfolio. Um, now we do semiconductor software. If your clean tech company is an adjunct from that, you'll see that you are a logical fit for us because it's software, semiconductors that point towards the clean tech market, which we think is interesting. But do your homework to see. I get pitches, yeah, I know friends that are tech investors that get pitches for healthcare companies. They know nothing about So do your homework. Think about the stage. You know, if you have an early stage company, but you're pitching a late stage investor, it might be a brand you know, it's just not going to fit. So do your homework. Ask other people in the ecosystem what they know. Because once you get closer, it, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a better hit rate. Then you have to network into the firm. And I, I regret to say that. Because when I, you know, when I think about the seven to ten thousand plans, my guess is there may be some of those that are good. If it doesn't count as a warm introduction, I don't have the time, we don't have the time to process all those. There are eight partners in the firm, and we do spend time with our portfolio in addition to new companies. So warm referrals, somebody I know, an accounting firm, a bank, a friend, a neighbor, um, somebody else who's in the industry, somebody who works in one of our portfolio companies. It doesn't need to, to be any given doorway, but a known introduction to any firm is so much better. Go to events like this, network with people. Go meet your peers. Um, you know, do everything you can to build up a network that starts to lead you that way. And sometimes it's, it's, it's doors that you wouldn't think necessarily can be open. But, do, you know, spend the time doing that. Work a lot on your presentation because unfortunately we get the, it seems so many plans, we have the benefit of pattern matching. And if it isn't as uh, and it doesn't need to be spiffy so much. I don't care that it's a long written thing, actually, PowerPoints or short little presentations, quick demos are fine. It doesn't need to be long. But it needs to answer some basic questions I'll talk about on another slide. But when you're thinking about pitching somebody, talk to your peers. Trial it with people who aren't going to invest in you, but have heard a lot of pitches. Go to your accounting firm. Go to your bank. Go to another uh, peer entrepreneur who's already pitched quite a bit. Do, if you have a friend, and I've done this quite a bit, we don't do really, really early stage investing. We like investing after the technology is done. But when I have a good friend who introduces me to somebody who is in a sector I'm kind of interested in learning more about, because I might want to invest in them later in their lives, and it's somebody I know, the kind of that I say to these guys, hey, give me your pitch. I'm not going to be your first stage investor because I don't, I want the technology to be done. But pitch me because I see so many. I'd be happy to give you advice on what I normally see in pitches. And so it's great. You're not worried about failing because you're not going to. Um, you know, I can give you some advice and you can go on. So look to get, to, to hone how you pitch and the questions you're, you're, you're asking. Getting that done before the first meeting really is a great investment. You know, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, runs boot camps and, you know, things like that that really help entrepreneurs figure out how to access capital. You know, get in those kinds of programs because they're just hugely invaluable. And then, you know, manage the process. And this is so difficult because it's a tonal issue. I want to be apologetic and kind of, oh, I think this will work. Um, because if you're not optimistic, it's hard for me to believe in it if you're not enthusiastic. <laughs> On the other hand, if you're completely unrealistic and over-enthusiastic, I'll think you're just not, you know, your head will be in the clouds. So finding that right balance and listen to feedback that you're getting. It's a high-risk business, so we know we don't expect anything to be riskless. Tell us the risk. Because the good news is if you can, if you can describe to me and I have an optimism around the opportunity and can also tell me what the risks are, because again, remember, it's not my deals, I'm not going to return the kind of capital my investors are expecting. I expect that there's risk. The fact you can identify that you have a plan to reduce that risk over time and that's what the funding is for, that's cool. 
So you don't have to be perfect. You need to be optimistic and realistic. Um, and this is kind of what we look for. You know, we want a high growth, really large market. You know, and really think about whether or not what your what your pitching really is. Um, you know, is it does it really fit that? We do want a winning team, and by that it doesn't mean that you had to have prior successes. You know, two of our most successful CEOs, prior jobs were being students. Um, so it doesn't mean that you actually, but, but your background needs to be relevant. Um, and then putting together a team that complements all the skills, and you know, and again, it might be three of you, five of you in the beginning. Um, but thinking about a positive team, a winning team, and a relevant team is really important because half, half of everything we do is all about, all about the people. And then really do a lot of homework on the competition, and your competition is global now, and you really need to think about substitutes and other things. That is often what the problem is with investing in companies. Maybe not a big enough idea, um, do we like the team, but really how does it stack up? It has to be not just iteratively better, it, you know, evolutionarily better, it needs to be revolutionary better. Those are the really big ideas, and you go back to those slides. It was, you know, and I love the quote from, from Steve Jobs, I don't do customer focus groups. My customers wouldn't know what they want. I mean, what he's looking at is so revolutionary. It's like Henry Ford said, if I asked my customers, it wouldn't have been a car. It would have been a faster horse. You know, so it, it is really, you know, that idea of the relief, and that was a relief. Um, you know, it's the same idea. So looking at, you know, substitutes, competition, and is this really differentiated enough and just marginally being different on cost, marginally different on performance when, your big competitors, Motorola, and the, you know their next gen is already in the pipeline. They have a lot more money than you do. Is tough to is tough to case to make. So we really have to understand why that product is compelling, and then a strategy for financing it that's realistic on terms that make sense for everybody. Because you know we need to be aligned with you. We're not. It's not a transaction um, that we're doing. Although there's a transaction element to that first investment, we're actually becoming partners. If I take too much of the company, you're not going to be aligned and interested and motivated to work hard. But if you try to charge too much for it, I'm not. I have to buy right. Uh, you know, I can't buy high and hope to sell higher. Um, I have to buy right. I can't buy low. But if I buy right, then then I then I'm doing fine by my by my investors. So being aligned in financial terms, I think is I think is really important. And overall, when you meet with you know an investor the first time, it's you know, why now? Why the solution? And why you? Um, and that's that's really the that's really kind of the key questions you're trying to answer. And then if I haven't dissuaded you already. Being an entrepreneur, um, and you, I, you know, and I, I think entrepreneurs are the best beings on the planet. So um, I, I love them because they're so optimistic. You know, build a composite board or mentor. You know, some people look for the person that can answer all the questions. It's not. It's going to be, you know, the three entrepreneurs you met at a networking event a while ago. You know, plus, you know, and it can, you know, you're going to put a composite group of people together that you should be thinking of as your as your network. Um, Always, as I said about the pitch, get a safe reality check. You really want to get honest feedback about what you're doing, whether it's the pitch, whether it's the idea, because often if you can get that, really good entrepreneurs iterate those first ideas, and it isn't their first idea out of the box that actually becomes a successful idea. They iterated their way to it. So have people that you trust, that are you safe, that you don't feel like, you know, maybe it's not your board member investor, Maybe it's somebody else who you kind of need to, the, is this a crazy idea? And the person goes, like, well, it probably needs a little fine tuning. You need to get that feedback. And then I have this whole idea of, you know, make deposits in the karma bank because it is so hard. I get so many, A, wonderful plans, and so many appeals for advice. 
that I'd love to give every person advice, and I just don't, I, as a single person, don't have the bandwidth to give it. I just, I just wouldn't have the hours in the day. And it's a disappointment, because you know, I enjoy that aspect of what I do. So what I find is often, in addition to warm introductions, people that I end up working on projects with are people that I end up ha giving advice to and helping. You know, I do work with different, you know, women in private equity and women entrepreneur organizations. So we end up working on a, an event like this together. We're not even talking about business. We're talking about when's, when's the food going to be here on time. Um, and guess what? You end up knowing people, and you, you know, you really help me get a bunch of people to that event. And now we know each other. And so when you make those deposits into the Karma Bank, people, you know, so offer to help somebody on something if you want them to be part of your network, rather than saying, please help me. I, it's, I think that's often a better way to do it. If you want to help a venture capitalist, send them a good deal. <laughs> They'll love you forever. Um, and, and, you know, hard work is, is necessary, but not enough. I mean, you really do have to have all those things I talked about in the former page. You need to get feedback. So sometimes I get people who are just so earnest, but you really do, you know, and, and frankly, unfortunately, a little luck. Um, and obviously you can't manufacture that. Um, but know that that's part of, the, part of the reality. We've talked about the fact that losing is part of the business. It is hard. I mean, and by the way, as venture firms, you get turned down a lot too when you go to raise money. And you just have to decide, you know, like any good salesperson, you'll get a lot of no's. Listen to the no's and why. And, and if you're perseverant and you have a good idea, you will get, you will get, be successful. And so you need to get back on the horse. But as you get those turndowns, listen to that advice. There might be something in it that even though you got the turndown, and I actually think the smart, I, I think that this is a duty for me with a, uh, as a venture capitalist, although most of my peers don't and don't have time to do this, is when I turn somebody down, I tell them why. And I always say, you get what you paid for on this because you didn't pay, <laughs> it was free. Um, but take that advice and think about it. it. It was the competition, it was the price. I thought your team was weak, you were asking, whatever. Um, and take on that advice, and, uh, you know, and I had one entrepreneur where I, I said, it was really a horrible pitch. And I was surprised, because he had some venture investors, which I was surprised had let his pitch go out. And he was really smart. He said, do you have five minutes? Can you tell me why? I went through his pitch with him. And it was great. He brought his next deal back to me, because he said, you gave me advice my board didn't. You know, so when people are telling you no, there's an opportunity in that, too. And guess what? He and I created a relationship. I really liked the guy. And I thought it was really gutsy of him to want to listen to me say, that was really difficult and painful. His next presentation was a heck of a lot better. And he said, thank you, because I had 100 more of those pitches to do, and you made it better over time. So that is, uh, you know, and there are re lots of resources, by the way. Pepperdine obviously has a huge amount that you should take advantage of. These are beyond, um, you know, kind of national resources. And do go to a lot of VCs' websites. There, there's advice on pitches. Um, there are advice on how to put together a cap table, on term sheets, you know, all kinds of things that you need to know if you haven't already gotten it in, in classes in places like Pepperdine that are a huge, huge help to you over time. And with that, I think Linda and I are going to have a conversation and hopefully get you guys in the conversation.